Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 2.42 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. I'm going to explain to you a little more why that use of language for article is so important. Just in, just in case you think it's needless erudition. But before I get on to that, let me read the creed to you again. So I don't know if you've had it up on the screen before, but I've got it here. It's just something for you to receive and listen to. You don't need to read it. It says, We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was buried. And he descended to the dead. But on the third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which Lucas, I think, has explained to you, means it's a universal church, not Roman Catholicism. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And there's something about that, isn't there? That when you read that or you listen to that, it kind of resonates with your spirit. You can sense there's something more to that language than simply words on a page. It's something that is true. As Lucas mentioned, I called this uh, several articles of faith. There are 12 articles. Each one, by tradition, is supposed to be ascribed to one of the 12 apostles. That's probably not true, but it's a nice story. But the reason they're called articles in the church is because an article is something which is to be believed without doubting or questioning. Something to believe without doubting and questioning. So these things, when they were put forward to the church by the leaders of the church, and it was constructed over several centuries, but it was reinstated year by year, was because they wanted the church to build their foundation on things which were immovable. Not things which were up for debate or for discussion, but things which were solid and firm and steadfast. Now, let me give you an illustration about how this can work out in terms of what we understand truth to be. Now, imagine you've been in bed all weekend. Now, that's either because you've been very unwell or you're a student. One of those two reasons, probably. You might have been in bed all weekend. And you're in bed and you've had the curtains closed... And you have no idea what weather, the weather is like outside. So you come downstairs, before you open the curtains, there are two people stood in your living room. And you say to the first person, let's call this first person Bill. You say to Bill, what is the weather like outside? And so Bill checks his weather app and he looks at it and he says, I believe it is raining outside. And then you look to the other person in your living room, let's call this person Fred. And Fred is absolutely wet through, covered in water. And you say, Fred, what's the weather like outside? He goes, I know it's raining outside. Both people have said things that are true, but one of them has experienced them to the point they say there is no doubt or question left. And when we, when we ascribe to our, our lives to these articles of faith, these beliefs which are not to be doubted or questioning, we're not saying this is something we philosophically align ourselves with. 
These are things which drenched the lives of the early believers in the church. They were wet through with this truth. And this is what they built their lives upon. And the second article is this. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, and he is our Lord. And I've got some verses of scripture for us to uh, unpack the truth of that in three uh, connected but, but different ways. And the first way we're going to look at that is from the lens of John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says to his disciples, and he answers them, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, we live in a world where it would be nicer to say to people, we believe Jesus is a way. He is a truth, and he's a life. As if there are, there are viable alternatives out there, but that's just the person that we like to align ourselves with. But Jesus gave us some language here which was very challenging for people to accept. He was saying there is no other way, there is no other truth, and there is no other life. Or another way you could say this is any other way is a dead end, any other truth is a lie, and any other life will only end in death. Jesus was it. Imagine you're on a ship. And I've never been on a cruise. Maybe a bit of audience participation. Put your hand up if you've been on a cruise. Right, put your hand, leave your hand up if your cruise ship has ever sunk. Good. That's great. No trauma to work through with anyone in pastoral care. Now, if I was in the privileged position of being on a ship, and I was told there is an alarm about to go off because the ship is sinking, I don't care about people's opinion on what I need to do on that ship, whether I need to go to try out the new buffet menu, or maybe go to one of the cinemas on the big cruise line, or anything like that. I want to get off because the thing is going to sink. And all I'm occupied with after I received that understanding was, which is the quickest way off so I can get on the lifeboat? Now, in the message of Jesus as he came into the world and proclaimed who he was and the significance of his mission, he was basically saying, this system of this world is crumbling around us. It's falling apart. And God, through many times, through the, his prophets and through his people, the, the, the nation of Israel, he'd, he'd sought to show the world that simply by giving them rules and instructions and being with them, that there was some measure of improvement that could happen. But time and time again, the hearts and the deception, the sinfulness of men's hearts, always brought them back to the same place, was the thing eventually crumbled and fell apart again. And so Jesus came in and said, this ship is sinking, and if you want to get off, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth, and I'm the only life. If you want to get out of this thing and preserve your life, the only way is to get on board with me. And so as Christians in the early church, in a, in a, in a world where there were lots of philosophical and religious ideas, they had this thing called polytheism, where in the Roman Empire they had lots of gods that some people would follow, and they would choose one which seemed best suited to their needs. But Jesus was saying, whatever your needs, ultimately your greatest need is that of a Savior. And if you want a Savior, I'm the only one who's going to get you saved. And this is what the church believed. Now, I would imagine that in this room tonight, most people would be on board with that. 
that at the, at the point of faith that they began with was a declaration in their own hearts, yes, I believe that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. However, there are times when we might think we are joining God's people, but in the journeying with God's people, we start to drift away from actioning some of the implications of that truth in their daily life. So, let me give you an example. If we believe that Jesus is the way, are there times when even as a believer, you look to other things to show you your way to get through life? If we believe he's the truth, are there other times when you look to other things through TV, magazines, through culture, where you're looking for some truth to apply to your life? We can be guilty of Christians of knowing Jesus, but failing to journey with Jesus because the things we joined him for, we failed to continue to put into practice in our daily life. And one of the things I would challenge you with for this year is to make sure that in your daily life with Jesus, you are living with him in a daily devotional life where you can position yourself to continue to draw from his truth, continue to draw from his direction, and continue to draw from his life that is at work in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you can do that ultimately is to make sure that in your day-to-day rhythm of life that you prioritize time alone with God. There have been seasons in my life when I have had a kind of what I would describe as a proxy relationship with God. And a proxy relationship is something that you have through something else. And I had this image, I think it was when we were going through um, the, the season of COVID and we're all locked up in our homes and twiddling our thumbs and thinking philosophically about life. I had this pitch that God gave me as I was watching a YouTube video about, and it wasn't about something, it was this band who were playing and worshipping. And I felt this sense of anointing. And that's language we give to this sense of the presence of God somewhere. I felt this sense of anointing in the room as I was worshipping along with this band. And then I switched the YouTube off, and it felt kind of like that presence just lifted slightly. Now, I didn't go into some sort of existential crisis that God had left me and I was abandoned or anything like that. But I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, you have enjoyed that moment with me because you have sat by the fire of somebody else's fellowship with me. Now, uh, there is this time in the Scriptures, the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is resurrected and he goes to meet with his disciples. And he lights a fire and he has some breakfast with them, gets some fish. And it was possible to have fellowship with him by the fire that he himself had made. And sometimes I think we sit by the fires that other people have made to be with Jesus. And the moments that we're there, we're feeding off the warmth of somebody else's fire. And then we get up and we walk along and it feels a little bit colder. And I think that is a a reminder to us that we have to continually build our own fires of fellowship with Jesus. 
So in my daily life over this year of prayer, I am making sure that I remain focused and committed to building daily fires of fellowship with Jesus. Because I don't want a relationship with him that's proxy of somebody else. Where he sat down by a fire eating fish in fellowship with somebody else and I feel that warmth but I mistake that for my fellowship with him. That's the goodness and the grace of God that we get to feel the benefit of everybody else's fires of fellowship with Jesus. But if we really believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and we don't want a dead end, a lie, or something that leads to death, we will make sure if he is that important, that that will correspond into the daily decisions that we make to build fires of fellowship with him. The second thing which is linked to that but distinct from that, comes from John 8, verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Jesus could minister without insecurity because he was insecure in the lavish love and devotion of his heavenly Father. God's love for him, his heavenly Father's love for him. Now we're getting into areas of the Trinity and I can't maybe uh, uh, get through this illustration without treading on some theological toes, but just go with me on this. So he is secure in his humanity because of the love of his Father is pouring out into his life. He was lavished with the love of his father. And we need to live as a people who our father wants to lavish his love on us, and we should outwork that if we believe that in lavishly loving everybody else around us. There's this story in the late 1800s of a prime minister called William Gladstone. William Gladstone, who was the Prime Minister at the time, he had this unenviable responsibility to communicate to the Houses of Parliament that Princess Alice from the royal household had just died. And the circumstances of her death were quite tragic, but quite poetic as well. The reason she had died was her daughter, the daughter of the princess, had diphtheria, which was a highly contagious disease. And the daughter, who was struggling to breathe at the end of her own life, said, Mom, will you kiss me? And because of the mum's love for the child, she thought nothing of her own safety. She kissed her child, and they both lost their lives. And we instinctively know, certainly if you're a parent, who wouldn't in that situation value the connection to your child over your own personal safety? And this is the kind of love, this lavish love, that God the Father has. He has kissed humanity in its death. And in doing that, took on himself death that affected him. This is the kind of love that he loves us with. And this is the kind of love and devotion that should compel us to love other people as well. To live a kind of love for other people in relationship to them, which causes people to question our sanity. Why would you do that? Why would you love in such a way? 
I heard this other humorous story as well as preparing for uh, delivering this sermon from uh, another part of our English um, history, going back a few more years before William Gladstone, to Oliver Cromwell, who's quite a contentious figure, but there he is, he exists in the timeline of our nation. So Oliver Cromwell, who was officially titled the Lord Protector of England, he had sentenced a soldier to death for some crimes that they had committed. And the way he went about this sentencing is he said that the next day at the bell for curfew, at the, as soon as the bell from the, the, the bell tower sounds for the village for its curfew time, at that point he will be, the soldier will be put to the sword and killed. So the next day the soldier was led out of the prison and brought to the place of execution and they waited patiently for the bell of curfew to sound. And they didn't check their watches. There was no watches in those days, at least as far as I'm aware. But no bell came. They could see the time had changed, but no bell rung. Well, of course, after a while, they were thinking something's up here. So Cromwell sent some other soldiers to go and investigate. And what had happened was that the fiancé of the soldier who was deemed to be executed had gone up into the bell of the bell tower and wrapped herself around the clapper inside the bell so that no matter how much it swung, it would never sound because it would always be held by her and she would absorb the impact of the bell. Cromwell was so moved by her devotion to her fiancé, he said, if any man can find a woman to love him this well, who am I to put him to death? And he let the man go free. Now we go, okay, it's love, you know, this woman for this soldier, you know, maybe that soldier was a bit of a bad boy and it was her first boyfriend and, you know, she was, love is blind. But maybe we should look at other people as opportunities to put ourselves in harm's way sometimes to show love to those people who don't deserve it. That soldier didn't deserve grace. He'd already been charged and convicted for crimes that he had done. But someone showed love that moved the heart of a leader to make sure the execution didn't happen. Love changed the narrative. And love needs to compel us, as we have been loved by this lavish love of our Father, to change the narratives of people around us. If we believe that God is love, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, He is the God who loved us, that even while we were sinners, wrapped up in our own sin and selfishness, without a good bone in our body, God saw the potential in us and said, these are the people that I'm going to give myself to. And even if they can never repay me, even if they never understand what I've done for them, I am going to wrap myself in a position of harm to show them that they are loved and they are valued and they are honored. And I just hope someday, this is me putting myself in God's position, I just hope someday that what I have done for them will compel them to do something similar for those around them. And this is the kind of life that we need to live as God's people. So we need to recognize He's the way, the truth, the life, and He is to be loved and honored as His heavenly Father loved Him. He has also loved us, and we're to love others. But not only should we love Him, we should also let Him lead. This is another challenge for you in 2024. I nearly said 2023 then. Do you know what? Kids always think they know best. I have three. They've gone off into another room now to be somebody else's problem for a couple of minutes. 
But they always think they know best. And I had this funny story this week. My wife works in the school where my kids are at. But this time a story got back to me that had nothing to do with my kids for once. But the kids in one of the years, I believe it was year five, looking at my, was it year five? Year five. They had a geography test. And their teacher said, in this geography test, he gave them a list of nations for them to find out the compass coordinates for that nation. So they'd gone away, you know, somebody had Venezuela, somebody Honduras, somebody Russia, and so forth. And they all come confidently and report back to class what they've found. And there was this one girl, and she had been given the country of Iceland. And she gave these compass coordinates, and the guy's thinking, the teacher, "Mm, doesn't sound quite right to me, that. Are you sure? Confidently, she's like, yeah, yeah, these are the compass coordinates for Iceland. So the class finished, test was over, and he goes, I'm going to go and look at the computer where she Googled this. So he goes over to the computer, he looks at her, and she'd found the Iceland in Billinge. Yeah, a little village up near Wigan. Ironically, that Iceland is shut, closed, not even open anymore. But she was proud as punch. She got the coordinates for Iceland. <laughs> Good job you weren't a pilot, love, and you were flying the plane to that. Yeah, we're going to fly to Iceland today, everybody. Could be quite a short trip from Manchester Airport. <laughs> Kids think they know best. They're really confident in what they do. But they have stuff to learn. You know what? You and I, as God's children, we have to recognize that we have stuff to learn. We should never be so confident as we grow up, even to becoming adults, to think we've got it all sorted. We still need God to lead us. The final verse, verses, to be more accurate, come from John 5, 19 to 20. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all that he does. Jesus, fully divine, he knew the score. He was also all-knowing, all-powerful. But he lived constrained in the days of his kind of joining to humanity in such a way that he, he allowed his Father to lead. He allowed his Father to guide. He allowed his Father to do everything. And he modeled to us the type of lives that we should be living. Lives where we check into God and say, what is it you want me to do? How is it you want me to go about this? And you know, you can do that practically in your life in moments which are really quick and easy. Maybe you're going to go into a meeting at work and you can say, Father, how do you want me to play this? Have you got any wisdom for me? Holy Spirit, Could you just lead me through this next meeting that I've got? Could you lead me through this day? As I'm going to meet this person, Lord, I'm not quite sure what to say. Will you give me something helpful and constructive to impart to that person? Because I think often we just go into stuff without really giving due care and consideration to what the Holy Spirit might want to show us through those moments. We don't have to pray a prayer in Latin. You don't have to recite the creed. Hang on, which article uh, was it that I have to go through for this one? Sometimes just those silent prayers in your heart to say, God, guide me at the moment. I want to know what you want me to do. 
We often will go to God for the big decisions, but I think he's got something to say about what we think of the small decisions as well. Actually, some of those small ones might actually not be that small. They may be very important. You just haven't seen the significance of the moment yet. But we as children, not only do we recognize that he is Lord and he is love, but he is also our lead. We can allow God to get into the driver's seat, you know. I always tend to, you know, couples, they tend to have a kind of a balance of power in the front seats of the car, yeah? I, I, I am the driver in our relationship. But that doesn't mean I get to choose everywhere we go and which direction we take. It's all right, Google tells us now. It stops a lot of arguments. But in your relationship with God, in your relationship with God, invite him to take the wheel. I think there's a song about that. I'm sure Lucas would love to sing it. We know he loves to live, sing old songs. Jesus, take the wheel. Let's move on quick before we get to yeah. We need to allow him to lead and to guide. And he can do that sometimes through a nudge or a sense. How many times, right, I wish I'd learned this and taken this more on board some years ago, but someone just comes to mind in the week. You think, hmm. I haven't thought about for a few weeks. I've learned now, let me give him a text or a call. And not every time, but enough times for me to think there is some statistical something I need to pick up from the fact that this happens a lot of times. It's, oh man, I really needed someone to, just to say something right now. I really needed to talk to somebody. And you have partnered with the Holy Spirit to minister to somebody in a need that you didn't know about through any natural means. How cool is that? God in heaven on his throne seeing the whole of humanity and every situation that is transpiring and all those that are about to transpire senses that somebody else is in a difficult moment and he looks down and he drops the thought into your mind just to see if you've got the maturity to know, you know what, I can take five minutes to send so-and-so a text. And as you do that, the join of the dots in God's heavenly kingdom are coming together, and God is getting work done, and you get to be a participator in the plan of God. That is insanely good news. That makes any day a great day if you're led by the Holy Spirit, because even if you think that that day that you're on is the, is the sort of the, the general humdrum of what you normally do when God sows stuff into your spirit and you respond and you see what God does anything that you thought was boring becomes supernatural and outstanding that is what it can be to be led by the spirit of God so my take homes for you this week is that if you believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life not our way our truth and our life that has implications not for you just joining with Christ, but for journeying with Christ. You need to establish your own fires of fellowship to draw from his truth, to draw from his life, and to draw from his direction. You also need to love him as he has loved you. We need to put ourselves occasionally in harm's way for other people because that's the kind of radical love that God has shown for us. And we also need to allow ourselves that, that quietness and 
and that stillness of heart to ask God what he wants in any moment because a people who are alive and alert to the voice of God will see things change on earth as they are in heaven and you get to participate. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons, and the translation permits, and the daughters of God. We delegate we demonstrate our divine son and daughtership as we're led by the Spirit. And heaven applauds. And it's sometimes in just subtle moments. So I've given you a few things there. We're going to pray now. Some things will land lightly. Some things will land heavily. Some things will just maybe land in your mind a bit more this week. But there's plenty to be applying. And we're just going to pray now, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to allow some of that stuff to settle in you in such a way that you think, okay, Lord, this is what we can get serious about now. This is what we can do this week. Because we don't want to leave this place having just heard a message and not applied a message. That won't do anybody any good. It'll give you a false indicator of progress. We need to apply the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed through your Word and your word through the creeds, what it means to treat you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Where we believe, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he's the only son, and he is our Lord. He gets to govern and direct, and he's the only way to our Father. Lord, we pray that the truth of that will be invigorated in our spirits again. The implications for that as the way, the truth, and the life. I pray, not only have we joined you, the Lord God, we will journey with you in such a way that we continue to draw. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be led by you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see what you want to show us. Forgive us, Father, when we think there are such things as dull days in the kingdoms of, kingdom of God. There are only days when we may be realized less than others that we're participating with heaven's plans. Lord, we thank you that every day is a kingdom day. And Lord, we pray that we will be led this year from places that are fires of fellowship with Jesus in devotional time of prayer to places when we get to minister to one another in love and through the leading of your Holy Spirit. So help us to be alive and alert to you, God, we pray. Continue to move us forward as your church. And I pray that the things that we have we have reminded ourselves of today, Lord God, will serve us over the coming months and years of our lives to make us more effective for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless his word to you. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.livechurchwarrington.com.